Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. Well, thank you. For, for joining us in that. Now we're, we're going to gear shift right into our message. So uh, we're in the series looking at the parables. And as, as we jump into today, I want to uh, surface a question for you. Uh, have you had moments in your faith journey where things have just felt dull or stale? Where you're just kind of walking through and it's like, ah, I just kind of feel like I'm in a rut. Have you had moments like that in, in your faith journey? Or maybe it's even kind of been more hard times, you know, as we've just prayed about. Or maybe for you, you know, you've kind of been on the outside looking in. You're still not sure what you think about this whole church Jesus thing. And you kind of feel like, yeah, church feels like that. Or you just feel that, that dullness, that staleness. And sometimes that's just because things are actually dull and stale. And, and uh, you know, we, we can do a better job. Any issues you have, contact Cody and talk to him about that. Just, just uh, yeah, there you go. So, but no, sometimes it is because of other things. But a lot of times... It's because of us. It's because of our, our heart or, or what's going on here, kind of a framework or, or maybe a view that we have of church, of faith. Sometimes we have a dull, stale framework. Sometimes the box that we're viewing things through is kind of just, blah. How do we know the, what we're supposed to be here? Or what is this supposed to look like? Like, what is, what is this supposed to actually be like? I think it's not supposed to be dull or stale. It's not supposed to feel like this, like, blah, rut sort of thing. And so if it's not that, then what is it? And how do we get to it? That's what we're going to look at today when we dive into kind of our next parable. So again, we're in this series. We're looking at these things called parables. These are teachings that Jesus often used to help us understand and realize we don't understand certain things. So they're, they're stories, they're images, they're illustrations that Jesus would often use to help us relate to real life, a, a, a heavenly or, or kingdom-oriented idea. But oftentimes, he didn't make it more clear. It wasn't like, oh, now I totally understand what you're trying to say. Oftentimes, these stories provoked a response in us, caused us to maybe like cock our heads a little bit and say, what? And right there, Jesus is inviting us in. That's what these parables do. They might be strange, weird kinds of things that we're just like, I don't get it. And that is exactly what they're supposed to be. We're, We're to look at these stories and say, I don't get it. And I want to know more. See, Jesus is inviting us to step forward into the parable, into conversation with him. And so that's what he's doing. Anytime he's, he's using one of these parables, he's inviting us to take a step towards him and seek greater understanding. So we've been looking at a variety of different parables. We looked at the parables in Luke 15 where we see God's heart for the lost and how we're to have hearts for the lost. Looked at the parable of the vineyard workers. You know, people are working throughout the day at different times. They all get paid the same. Feels unfair. And the owner's like, I'm generous. I want you to be generous too. And we've looked at the counting the cost concept where we, like what Jesus is calling for is to be number one in our lives. Be top priority. We're, we're, we're to step forward and say like, all right, Jesus, you are first. And we've got to count the cost and, and, and step into that carefully. 
We've been looking at all these different parables. Well, today, we're going to look at a parable that's going to address this whole idea of like, what's our box here about faith, about church, about this Christian life we're living? Do we have the right one? Or is there something more that Jesus has for us. So I'm going to invite you, if you would, turn to Matthew 9. Matthew 9, verses 14 to 17. We're going to look at this little interaction that Jesus has with some of John the Baptist's disciples. So if you're kind of getting used to your Bible um, in mind here, this is kind of where it is. It's in the back third, if you will. So the beginning of the New Testament starts with the book of Matthew. So that's where we're going to go. We're going to look at Matthew 9, verses 14 to 17. So begin reading along with me here. Verse 14. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples don't fast? Verse 15. Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he's with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. So here's this interaction. We get some of these disciples from John the Baptist. So they're coming and, and they're like, hey, hey, Jesus. I think they're asking kind of a, an honest question. Like, everybody's fasting, but you guys. Like, why is that? I mean, th- so what, what they're asking about, they're, they're asking this question of fasting. And, and so a little context, just to make sure we're tracking with what's, what they're asking about here. Fasting was a common practice during that time. Now, fasting is, is alluded to or happens occasionally in the Old Testament, but it's not required very often. What had progressed, though, was like, this is a good practice to do to the point where it was kind of like twice a week. And the Pharisees, they became the champions of it. They were fasting two or three times a week and, and regularly making this a part of their rhythm, and they encouraged others to do the same. And so often people would fast. They would take time where they would abstain from food, And this was just part of their regular practice. Now, they're asking about the practice, but it helps us to understand a little bit more of what's going on underneath it. Because this wasn't just like fast, okay, I'm checking a box. They actually, they find significance in it. I don't know if you've ever fasted, but um, if you have, you you know what that probably feels like, especially if you had done it for like the first time. So I, I don't fast a lot, but I fast regularly enough that, you know, a day kind of fast isn't all that big of a deal. Well, early on when I started to do a longer fast, I remember how that felt. Like, I think it wasn't the first time, but maybe the second or third. There was a time where I was just like, oh, I feel horrible. Like, it just, you feel it in your body, this like, ugh. That's what fasting is actually meant to do. What fasting can help us see is the feeling of, wow, I have need here. I see what it's like to lack And that feeling, that's the feeling I need of the Lord. Like, I I need him. I I need this feeling of of emptiness and, like, I I have hunger. I need to hunger for the Lord. And that's what they would use the practice for. It's to remind them of their need. And this is a good thing. But often, 
as it developed, there would come this solemnness, this sorrow, this kind of heavy, like, oh, sink down into it kind of feeling. And that is what is happening when people fasted back then. They would feel that significance. They'd feel that sorrow, that solemnness. So when these disciples from John come asking, they're, they're seeing Jesus and his disciples. They're not, they're not doing that. They're not feeling this downward emptiness. They're not feeling the sorrow. They're not feeling the solemnness. They're not feeling the heaviness. And so that, that is behind their question. They're asking about fasting, but they're also asking about this posture, this pattern, the thing that comes with it. Now, I want to add one quick thing before we move forward too deeply here. This story, this episode, this moment, happens right after the calling of Matthew. So Matthew, the gospel writer, is also called Levi. He was a tax collector. Jesus comes to his tax collector booth and says, follow me. And, and he does. And the first thing they do is they go have a meal together. They go to Matthew's house. He makes a meal for everybody. And he invites all his tax collector friends. This, this was a no-no. You don't associate with tax collectors. So the Pharisees, they see this and they're like, hey, why, why are you eating with those people? And Jesus kind of like pushes back. He's like, no, 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 no. These are the kinds of people we're supposed to eat with. Keep that in mind because he's challenging their practices, their patterns. He's challenging the framework that they've got going on here. So when we get to fasting, Jesus is, is bringing all of this, and Matthew's doing his work as a gospel writer to connect the dots for us. He's now going to do something here when it comes to fasting. So what does Jesus say? Well, let's quick look at his response. Verse 15. How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he's with them? He's talking about a wedding, right? Bridegroom, groom, like when the groom is there, like, hey, it's a wedding. It's a wedding feast, and we're celebrating, like, that's the image he responds with to this question of fasting. It's like, hey, why aren't you guys fasting? You wouldn't fast when the groom is around. We're, we're at a wedding. Okay, that's kind of interesting. Jesus is responding with a contrasting kind of image. We'll come to that in just a minute. But then he goes on. What else does he say? Verse 16, no one sews a, a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. What he's talking about here is this, this idea of you got a torn piece of clothing, you're trying to patch it up. Well, back then, they would often use leather or other kinds of things, but like what you want to do is you want this thing to shrink. You want to get it wet. You want to get it to kind of come down so that it's ready to be used because if you don't do that, you put it on the garment, and then you get outside and it rains on you, that thing's going to go, and because it's stronger in better shape, then your garment's going to tear worse. So they're like, you wouldn't do that. And everybody's like, oh yeah, you wouldn't do that. And he goes on further, wineskins, verse 17. So if like you're, you're a vineyard owner and you're, you're making wine and all that stuff, you don't put new wine into old wineskins. Because what's happening here in the wineskins, you're allowing it to ferment. And as fermenting happens, gases are released and pressure builds up. And if you've got an old wineskin, you know, those pressures are increasing, out comes the wine and everything's ruined. He's like, you wouldn't do that. That's not a good practice. And everybody's like, yes, of course. Well, why, why does Jesus talk about all these things? Like, what's the meaning that he's really going after here? If he's using these images of a wedding, a garment, wineskin, like, 
Why does he respond to a question about fasting with these three images? Well, I think what Jesus is doing is he's challenging their assumptions. He's challenging their assumptions. Notice that he, he's, he's responding to this fasting with a contrasting image first. Fasting is sorrowful, solemn. We're coming down, we're feeling our lack and our need, and we're, we're, we're heavy laden. A wedding is celebration and, and, and lots of activity, and, and there's feasting. We're not fasting, we're feasting. And this is the, the image that he uses to show contrast. We're not fasting, we're feasting. Now, let me real quick add, he's not completely discounting fasting. Because he does say, like, oh, when the bridegroom disappears, then, then these guys are going to fast. So there's value in fasting. There's value in feeling the sorrow, feeling the solemnness. Like, there's good in that. But he's offering to say, like, there's something you're missing here. Let me challenge your assumption. Fasting is not appropriate for this particular moment. There's something that you aren't yet seeing. You need a greater wisdom or understanding about what's happening here. So uh, for all you fathers, you, those of you who are dads, like I'm curious, or even mothers, we can probably include you. So for me, I, I became a father a little less than 10 years ago. And before that, like I had a dad and, and I watched other dads and, and I'd seen this all play. So I'm like, okay, I, I kind of know what this whole thing's going to be about. Fast forward a few weeks after a few sleepless nights and waking up and all that kind of stuff, like, do you think I knew really what it was all about? I had an assumption. Here's what fatherhood's going to be all about. And then you get to the reality of it, right? Then it's just like, whoa, okay. Right there, my, my bubble was popped. I, my assumptions were challenged. And what I had experienced was a reconfiguration. Things weren't as I thought they would be. And now I'm seeing like, oh, it's different. It's different than I thought. I think that's what Jesus is doing here. He's reconfiguring their boxes. The boxes of faith that they see through, the, the, the way that they're capturing, like this is what um, life is to look like. This is how we're to do things. We're to fast like this, and we're to do this, and we're to do this. And Jesus is coming in saying, actually, not quite. See, they aren't understanding What's happening here? They're not understanding who Jesus is. They're not understanding what Jesus is all about because Jesus, he doesn't always fit into our boxes. Sometimes we're walking in with a preconceived set of ideas or a framework and Jesus comes in and says, actually, that's not all of me. Sometimes we get it right, but sometimes we don't. Here's a great place to see it. So in John chapter 1, John is describing kind of the prologue to his gospel and, and he's introducing Jesus as, as the one who has always existed. Now he's coming down to be like one of us, to be human. But here in verse 10, this is what he says. He was in the world. He became human. He, he joined us. And though the world was made through him, he helped create it. He was part of that process. The world did not recognize him. He's creator, and he's come down to meet us, but yet the world doesn't recognize us. Jesus came not in the box that was expected. They were not imagining God coming into human form, becoming like us, taking on a body, becoming fully human. He, they didn't imagine that. This 
was not a box that they had. Jesus doesn't always fit in our boxes. I'm curious if you've seen one of these before. I've got a picture of it. This is an infinity cube. This is my son's. And basically what it is, is it's kind of got some hinges, but you can turn it and kind of reform it, and you can keep doing that over and over and over again. It's a great little distraction kind of toy or whatever. But like, I don't know if you've, you've seen one of these, but I've got one here. And, and when you turn it, it, once it's in its cube form, then you turn it once, it kind of lays flat like this. I think that's where the disciples of John were. I think that's where the, the Pharisees are. They, they see faith looking like this. It's just kind of like this, and here's the box, and here's how it all works. And, and Jesus steps in and says, actually, it's not quite like that. And he's reconfiguring. And that's happening in our story right here. Jesus is coming in and saying, ah, you, you got a lot of it, but let me just make an adjustment here. And he turns it on its hinge. And imagine how that feels. Like you're used to it being like this, and all of a sudden, like, whoa, you know? Like, he's reconfiguring our boxes. Jesus is challenging their assumption about fasting, about this solemn, sorrowful, like, practice. It's actually not quite like that. Sometimes it's good like that, but, but here, here there's more going on. I'm wondering if we sometimes have the same kind of box, where we hold on to things the, the way things have always been. We've got assumptions like this is the way that faith is supposed to be and, and, and church is supposed to look like this and I do this on a weekly basis and sometimes do we get stuck in a box. Sometimes Jesus wants to step in and say, actually, it's not quite like that. Are we allowing him to reconfigure our boxes? Are we allowing him to step in and say, like, actually, I want to I make an adjustment here. I want to show you a little bit more about who I am. I want to show you that you don't quite have it all figured out. Are we allowing him to reconfigure our boxes? It takes humility to do that. It takes some awareness that maybe I don't have it all figured out, and we allow our hands to just hold things a little bit loosely. Sometimes we got it right. Sometimes Jesus steps in and is like, yeah, you're doing great here. This is awesome. But sometimes he's like, ah, we need to make an adjustment. Will we let him do that? I think sometimes the reason we're stuck in a rut, sometimes where we feel dullness or staleness in our, in our lives, not always, but sometimes, it's because we're stuck in our box. We're stuck with it's got to look a certain way and oh, it doesn't and I get frustrated about that. Like, are we holding on to assumptions or traditions when we actually need Jesus to come and flip us over? Are we allowing him to reconfigure our boxes? That's what Jesus is pointing to right here. He wants us to see like sometimes we got to change things around. And so, how, how, how is that happening? Like, what, what's, what's Jesus really wanting to address here? Like, in this whole fasting thing, like, what, what, is, he, what is he pointing to? What's, what's the box that maybe we need shifted? Well, let's look back at verse 15. So here's Jesus' initial response when they ask him, like, why don't you fast? He runs to this image of a wedding feast. How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he's with them? 
You feel that contrast, right? Like sorrow and heavy versus wedding feast and, and, and celebration and feasting. Like why does Jesus go that way? Because it's a little bit of an odd response, right? Like you feel like he'd say something a little bit different, correct their, their understanding of, of what fasting is all about or, or how to do it or why they don't do it so frequently. But he responds with a wedding celebration. See, like nobody at a wedding is going to fast. Like it, it's, it's, it's about feasting. So what is he pointing to? I think it's this, joy. I think Jesus is challenging their assumption and reconfiguring our box to see that it's joy. He's reconfiguring our box to joy. That's what a wedding is, right? It's full of joy. I I think back to to our wedding. We've been married for about 15 years. And um, when I think back to that day, so much of it is a blur. Like, I don't know if you remember your wedding day or, or, or if, you've, if you've been married. Or, but, like, the tendency is just, like, oh, there's so many cool things. But it's just, like, whoosh. And, and, like, I just feel like, man, there's so many, so many things that I don't remember and, and how all that went. I have little snapshots, but it's all a big blur. Except I remember how I felt. I remember my experience of it. I may not have remembered every single little moment. I remember some. We were kind of goofy and silly at different times. And, you know, not everything went well. You know, like little hiccups along the way. We didn't get any of our appetizers. Like we got there and it was all gone. Like, you know, just stuff like that. Like I remember little, little tidbits. But I don't remember all of it. But I remember this one thing. The joyful moment that it was. Here, all our family and our friends they're gathered, they're celebrating what God has been doing in our lives, the, the, the celebration component. Like we're, we're enjoying the company, we're enjoying the time. Like I remember the joy. Joy is what Jesus is trying to point to. He wants us to see that joy is an inherent part of the Christian life. When we follow him, joy is gonna mark us. And and this is not the only place where we see it. There's other places that's even more explicit. I just want to show you a couple real quick. So Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. You might even memorize this one because it's a pretty pithy one. You can remember it. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Right here. Joy. Take joy in the Lord. Rejoice in him always. I'm going to even say it twice. Rejoice. This is, this is like Paul saying, like, here, this is such a, a key value. I want to make sure I emphasize it to you. James chapter 1, verse 2. Here is like the contrast a little bit, too, when we have those hard moments. What does he say? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you tra- face trials of many kinds. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Why can you have joy when things are hard and broken and not as they should be? Because it's going to help you endure. Because joy is going to win out. This trial is not the final end of the story. There's joy on the other side. So consider it pure joy. Because you're going to persevere. You're going to grow in that ability. Joy. Joy is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, the second one in the list. Joy marks the follower of Christ. Joy should be an evident element in our faith. 
So I'll ask you, does joy mark your faith? When, when people look at you, do they see joy? Do they feel joy? Do they're like, yeah, I see that about that person. Like, wow, why? Does joy come from you? What Jesus is trying to point to is that this mark should be present in your lives. Like, we should be joyful people. So if you're kind of like, oh, man, I could get better at that, or, you know, like, I don't really see that at all. How do we get there? What, What kinds of things can we do? I think, fundamentally, it is a choice. It starts with a choice. I think we are to choose joy. We're to choose it. We're to seek it. We're to try to discover it in our lives. And so, like, if you're kind of wanting to start out in this, here's my recommendation. Start with gratitude. If you kind of take an inventory of your life and say, if I can just name, like, two or three things that I'm thankful for. We don't have to wait till Thanksgiving to, like, you know, jot down a list. Like, if we're just coming up with a few things like, God, I'm really thankful for this. On the heels of that will come joy. It might be brief might be fleeting even. The more we do this, the more we pursue gratitude, the more we take joy in things, the more it's going to flow out of us. We are to be joyful people. So choose it. Start with gratitude, but go from there and, and continue to pursue joy. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. It's, it's, it's a mark on us. So where we've come so far. Jesus, he's challenging their assumptions and he's reconfiguring our boxes. Will we let him do that? And will we let him reconfigure it to joy? This is supposed to mark us as as Christ followers. Why? Why joy? Or, Or why can we have joy? Like lots of things happen that just don't seem quite right. Like why can we choose joy? Or why should we go after joy? I think it's in this one word, presence. Presence. If you go back to verse 15, what what does Jesus do? He talks about this wedding and this groom, and and how does he specifically respond? How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? Jesus is saying, I'm the groom, and I'm here. My disciples, they're part of the wedding feast. I am with them. My presence is is here. What Jesus is saying is that I, I am the defining factor. I, I'm the what shifts things from solemn and sorrowful to joyous and celebration. It's my presence. And I think if John's disciples, if the Pharisees knew who he was, they would get it. Who is Jesus? He's the Messiah. He's the rescuer. He is the one who they've been looking forward to. In the Old Testament, there's a number of places where the prophets, they use this image of a wedding or a marriage. God is marrying Israel. Like they're joined together and he's portrayed as the groom. Israel is the bride. Here, the groom has shown up physically. He is in their midst. Like here is God with them. If they only knew that, they would see, yes, this is a cause for joyous celebration. So he's challenging their assumptions of who he is. If you knew who I was, 
you'd be like my disciples. You wouldn't be fasting. You'd be feasting. This is a moment of celebration. See, in verse 15, this is what he talks about. Like, I am, I am the groom, and I'm here. But notice, he doesn't stop there. Jesus kind of keeps the image going, but he, he says something kind of odd, right? He keeps going, the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then, then they're going to fast. Hang on a minute. What wedding have you been to that the, the groom has left? Like, hang on, I got a few other details I need to manage. I'll be back in a little while. Like, that doesn't happen. The groom doesn't leave. What are you saying here, Jesus? Like, why is the groom leaving in this illustration? Jesus knows what he's about to do. And he is alluding to that. He's alluding to the fact that he is going to depart. That he's going to go die. He's alluding to the fact that the groom is going to be crucified. You see, this Messiah, this king, this husband shows up. Not to just make everything all better and say, okay, now it's all good and we'll just keep going. Like, no, he came for a purpose. To lay his life down. And that's what he would do. He would go and lay his life down for the sake of the disciples, for the sake of Israel, for the sake of all of us. He's coming to die. And so when he says the bridegroom is going to be taken, he's talking about himself going to the cross. And this image, this bridegroom, is going to die. Hebrews 12, 2 talks about it in this way, and I love the language, brings some of it together. For the joy, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him, it's us. It's his bride, his people, his brothers and sisters. He's saying, yes, for all of you, that you are my joy. I will go to the cross for you. I will enter into sorrow and heavy brokenness, pain. I will enter into death for you. He came to save us, to restore us, to redeem us. This, this is the work that he's come to do. But it doesn't stop there, does it? See, they, they were in a, a period of mourning, of, of fasting, for a couple of days. See, Jesus would rise again from the dead. He would be resurrected. He would show up and appear to them, and here I am. Peace to you. He doesn't stay dead. It's not the end of the story. He comes back to life. He comes in resurrection power. This, this is what he came to bring for us, new life with him. Now, if we're talking about presence, Jesus was resurrected. If you know the story, he doesn't stick around. Why? Like, if it's about presence, it's about joy in his presence, like, well, why is he not here anymore? Why did he leave? He actually answers this question. John chapter 16, verse 7. He's in the, the upper room with the disciples before he's about to be arrested and crucified. And he's giving them the, like, the final things he needs to say. And he says this thing which is so crucial. Very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, the counselor, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. 
But if I go, I will send him to you. What he's talking about here is not only is God's presence with us in Jesus physically, but once he leaves, now God's presence enters into our hearts, our bodies, our very being. We now have God's presence within us. No greater communion, no greater relationship could exist. We are with him. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. We have his presence with us always. He is here. So Jesus leaving after his resurrection, he sends the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. Now we have his presence always. We have access to joy with him always. So this is what Jesus is reconfiguring. So the final thing I want to point to and and call your attention to is is this, and here's my suggestion. Consciously be aware of his presence. Choose to hold in your mind that Jesus in the Holy Spirit is with you always. God's very being is with you right now. He dwells inside of you. This is cause for joy. So whatever your practice is or whatever your rhythm is, like, Choose to embed a mindfulness, an awareness of like, Lord, you're with me. If you wake up in the morning and you read the Bible and and spend some time praying, like hold in your mind that you're not just praying to God up there, out there. Like he's in you. He's with you. He's right next to you as you read the scriptures. And hold that in your mind. Like consciously choose. Yes, Lord, you're with me. And let his presence wash over you. Let the joy of his joining with you be in that moment. And don't just do that in in one moment at the beginning of the day. Do that throughout the day. Just take moments of pause and, and reflection like, Lord, you're with me. And let the joy come from that. One of the things that I do, I've got a tool on my phone. It's an app called the Pause app. I love using this. I've shared about it before. But it's just a, it's a regular way that you can participate in a brief pause with the Lord. And so they've got different lengths. You can do a one minute, a three minute, a five minute, or ten minute. And, and, and basically what it does is it just guides you through a moment of prayer. Of you're just becoming more aware of God's presence. And one of the things I really love about it is it will send a reminder on your phone. You can set it for like nine o'clock and three o'clock or something. And it'll, here it is. And it reminds you to pause. And I love it. It's just a helpful way to go through the day. Lord, you are with me. You are here. Choose to be consciously aware. Attend to his presence because he wants to give you joy. So let's tie this all together. Here's the big idea. Here's what we're going after. Jesus, he reconfigures our boxes to the joy of his presence. That's what he's teaching us. That's what he's teaching John's disciples. And that's what he's showing us is really the way forward. So what box might you have? What might be something that you're kind of holding on to? Like, this is the way it should be. And Jesus is coming in. It's like, I'm just going to turn it around here. Allow him to do that. Allow him to, to reconfigure your box. Let him work in that way. And let him bring joy in that moment. Choose joy. Start with gratitude. Like, cultivate that in your life. Be a joyful person. And we do that all by his presence. This isn't something we generate. It's not something that we can manufacture. It is by his presence. Attuning ourselves to him. Being aware 
of his presence in our lives. He is always with us. Let him work in that. Church family, Jesus reconfigures our boxes to the joy of his presence. Would you join me in a word of prayer? God, thank you for this good news that you are with us, that that we can have you alongside each and every moment of every day. God, we are not alone. You are always there. Thank you for that gift, Lord. Would we be marked by that? Would we allow you to work? Would we have the humility to, to allow you to shape and mold us, to reconfigure our boxes? to let go of the things we need to let go of, to hold on to the things that we need to hold on to, would we be marked by joy? God, I pray that wherever there might be staleness, dullness, where we might be stuck, where we might feel a a lack, where there's an emptiness in life, would we step into that and would we submit that to you, Lord? Maybe that is a place where we allow you to move, to reconfigure, and to change our minds, our hearts, our bodies through your presence. God, thank you that we're not doing any of this on our own. We're doing this with you. Thank you for making us yours, giving us your presence and and marking us with joy. We are grateful, God. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.